Welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, December 30th. I'm Jordan Lewis. As the year draws to a close, it's a time to look back on a chock, on a chock full 2022. Here's a review of the year's events in Petersburg and around Southeast Alaska, starting with Angela Denning and Rachel Cassandra in Petersburg. It was a very snowy January in and around Petersburg. Municipal workers spent days and nights moving feet of snow from roadways. Buildings at the Petersburg School District sustained $245,000 in damages from heavy snow loads on rooftops. School was closed at the middle and high schools during the first week of January, while dozens of volunteers helped to shovel the snow. Leaks at the schools continued into February, but some areas had to wait until the summer months to be fixed. The small community of Whale Pass on northern Prince of Wales Island was trying to recover from unexpected heavy snowfall there. The community got 100 inches of snow in December, which damaged some buildings in January. Also in January, Petersburg Borough's mask mandate ended. The local law required face coverings in indoor public spaces and had been in place since early November. Also in January, ATVs and other all-purpose vehicles became legal to drive on any street with a speed limit of under 45 miles an hour. The state law took effect in January. Local governments were allowed to opt out, but Petersburg's assembly did not. Police Chief Jim Kerr said that ATVs needed to be registered and insured and would be treated like other vehicles. In February, the first Seat Ka Festival took place in Petersburg. The festival was dedicated to cultural awareness and uplifting indigenous residents. It featured several workshops with artists and culture bearers from around the region. In March, the Petersburg School District ended its requirement for mask wearing. The school district eased into loosening mitigation measures. They stopped contact tracing for students and staff in January. In February, they started a system of masking that loosened when cases were low. Petersburg's Borough Assembly approved pay increases and incentive payments for police officers and dispatchers. The changes were meant to keep employees already on the force and attract others to fill jobs in a short-staffed department. New hires would also get a $2,500 incentive recruitment payment. Search leadership met with Petersburg Medical Center to discuss the future of local health care. The CEO of the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium said his organization was open to talking about any role in the future of Petersburg's health care. He said if Search became the local provider, it would aim to match or increase health care. However, it would likely have other jobs like IT, finance, and human resource elsewhere. The two organizations said they hope to continue talking. Vietnam veterans and their families in Petersburg were honored at a special ceremony as part of Vietnam Veterans Day. Alaska military dignitaries, family, and friends attended the event at the high school gym. In April, Petersburg's harbor rates increased. Petersburg's borough assembly approved a 5% increase to moorage rates, as well as hikes for many of the other fees. It was the latest in a series of rate hikes for borough services. Petersburg's Borough Assembly approved the creation of a task force to look into child care and early education needs in the community. Child care providers and parents had asked the municipal government to take steps to help with low wages and high turnover for staff and lack of available spots for children. The commercial herring fishing in Sitka Sound wrapped up in April with its largest harvest on record. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game estimates the catch totaled over 26,350 tons. Also in April, 
Petersburg's longtime secondary principal Rick Dormer announced he had taken a job at Ketchikan High School. He finished out the school year in Petersburg before moving. And the U.S. Coast Guard announced its cutter Anna Kappa was leaving Petersburg after 32 years. The vessel conducted fisheries law enforcement, rescues, and patrols in southeast Alaska. The Coast Guard planned to reassign the vessel after an overhaul. In May, a young Petersburg swimmer took gold at the Junior Olympics meet in Anchorage. Tori Miller finished first in the 50 butterfly in the 10 and under division. The Alaska legislature approved $20 million in federal funding for a new Petersburg Medical and Public Health Center. That followed $8 million in funding earlier in the year in the federal omnibus bill. A new medical center campus has been estimated to cost between $90 and $110 million. CEO Phil Hofstetter said the funding would be used for the first phase of the project, getting it shovel-ready. That would include a site selection and environmental study and the complete planning and design. And Petersburg met its new middle and high school principal, Ambler Moss, who visited town for the first time. He'd been a principal in the Los Angeles and San Diego area and had also been an educator in Guatemala, Myanmar, and Western Alaska. In June, the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Pike arrived in Petersburg for fisheries and search and rescue patrols around southeast. The 87-foot Pike was built in 2005 and had been stationed in San Francisco. It replaced the Anacapa. And after 21 years at the Petersburg Fire Department, Sandy Dixon retired. The borough spent months replacing her as the fire and EMS director, finally hiring local resident Aaron Hankins in the fall. In July, Chum Salmon filled the OBI Seafoods processing plant. Catches from several hatcheries were delivered at the same time. Cannery workers averaged 17-hour shifts to keep up with a volume they say they'd never seen before. Petersburg's Parks and Rec Department started up a triathlon club. The training includes spin classes, swim sessions, group runs, and bike runs. The club held its first annual mini-triathlon in October, made up of a 500-yard swim in the pool, 10-mile bike ride on Mickoff Highway, and a 4-mile run. The summer Dungeness crab fishery took a dive in both harvest and price. The fishery closed two weeks early because of low numbers. Prices plummeted from about $4.20 a pound to about $2.80. In August, local police started writing tickets to residents who were ignoring garbage laws. Like most years, bears had been getting into trash. The borough started enforcing its law that requires residents to make a reasonable effort to secure garbage. And the Petersburg Borough formed a housing task force. The group is tasked with looking for solutions to a shortage of available living space. Lack of housing was noted in Petersburg's 2016 Comprehensive Plan, and it was cited as the number one workforce problem for Southeast businesses in a 2022 survey. Two of Petersburg's borough assembly members were unseated in the October election. Jay Stanton Greger served on the assembly for eight and a half years and Chelsea Tremblay for three years. The new assembly members are Donna Marsh and Scott Newman. Marsh said she wanted to add a conservative perspective to the assembly. And Scott Newman is a small business owner who hopes to unite the community. Both disapproved of how the borough responded to the COVID pandemic. Also in October, Petersburg resident Don Koenigs filed a lawsuit against the Petersburg borough and Clerk Deborah Thompson regarding access to borough records. The borough assembly chose representation through an outside law firm for that lawsuit. The borough will face a second lawsuit from Chief of Police James Kerr, 
Both lawsuits are currently in progress. A landslide about five miles south of Petersburg caused a power outage on Halloween afternoon. The landslide sent a stack of trees and debris across Mitkoff Highway, the main road on the island. It took out one SEPA pole and damaged a second, impacting several utilities. The landslide took out power lines, a telephone line, and two fiber optic cables. Petersburg Power and Light worked with SEPA team members around the clock to make repairs for 30 hours. They had additional support from public works and local construction companies. Petersburg saw high in-person turnout for the midterm elections. In the U.S. Senate race, Petersburg voters supported Republican Kelly Chewbacca, who ultimately lost the race. In the U.S. representative race, Petersburg supported incumbent Democrat Mary Peltola by a large margin, similar to statewide results. In the House District 2 race, Petersburg chose Republican Kenny Carl Scaffelstadt over independent Rebecca Hemshute. Ultimately, Hemshute won that election and will represent Petersburg and the rest of District 2 in Juneau in January. In November, the Petersburg Theater Group, the Mitkoff Mummers, brought audiences over the rainbow and down the rabbit hole with their production of Dorothy in Wonderland. The play is a mashup with characters from both Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. It was their first full audience show since the beginning of the pandemic. Petersburg High School saw an increase of vaping this year, which they discussed as a community in the late fall. The school is responding by monitoring bathroom breaks and installing vape detectors in bathrooms. They revised their nicotine policies with help from the American Lung Association and are planning to help students who are caught vaping with addiction education instead of punishments when possible. November brought early high numbers of flu, COVID, and RSV to Petersburg and its schools. Many students were out sick, and so many teachers were sick that the elementary school had to cut four days of their after-school recess program at the end of the month. They will consider restarting the program again in March. In November and December, two swimmers in the Viking Swim Club broke records that go back decades. Ten-year-old Tori Miller and eight-year-old Jackson Zweifel both broke swim records in their age classes. Miller for the butterfly and Zweifel for the breaststroke. Petersburg Wrestling also saw major victories this year at the state tournament in December. The team came in first for Division Two, and senior Kyle Biggers was state champion for his weight class. Petersburg is getting a new electronic fingerprint machine. The machine promises to help the town with law enforcement, hiring new employees, and the child care crisis. It will reduce wait times for hiring workers. In late December, Petersburg's borough assembly approved $40,000 in funding to start an early childhood educator incentive program. The funds were requested by the borough's early childhood education task force. The money was already earmarked for the task force and came from federal grant money given to the borough for COVID relief. The program will give money to early childhood educators continuing their own studies. Reporting in Petersburg with help from Angela Denning, I'm Rachel Cassandra. In Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. It was a year of new faces here in Alaska's first city. Ketchikan Indian community elected a new president, Trixie Bennett, in January. She pledged to increase access to traditional foods. Later in the year, the tribe notched a major victory when an advisory council advanced a measure that would open federal subsistence hunts and fisheries to Ketchikan residents. Ketchikan's school district also got a new leader in Superintendent Michael Robbins in mid-February. The city of Ketchikan hired a number of new department heads, including a new police chief, a new fire chief, and a new ports and harbors director, not to mention a new city manager. 
And it wasn't just new faces in leadership. As the COVID-19 pandemic faded, cruise ships returned in force after an anemic 2021. Tourists swarmed Ketchikan's downtown berths and the private dock north of town in Ward Cove. One of those cruises reunited a former refugee from Vietnam and the Ketchikan man who secured his family a home in the U.S. It had been 44 years since Mike Harpold granted humanitarian refugee status to Novo and his family with no real authority to do so. Some other new faces arrived from Prince Rupert, British Columbia, after the Alaska Marine Highway System resumed service to the Canadian port city in June. Ketchikan residents seized the opportunity to road trip through Canada in the lower 48. And still more new faces arrived on the new Coast Guard cutter Douglas Denman, which officially entered service in September after a ceremony in Ketchikan. The retired ferry Malaspina got a new home this year at Ward Cove, where it'll be turned into a museum and education center. It's also housing a couple of new faces, refugees who fled the war in Ukraine. One new face that many Ketchikan residents met this year is Luna. She's a drag queen who read a story to dozens of enthusiastic children at the Ketchikan Public Library to celebrate Pride Month. But the lead-up to the event was marked by controversy. After hours of acrimonious debate at City Hall and elsewhere, Ketchikan's City Council voted 5-2 to two to allow the event to go forward. And it was a hit. The library had to hold three readings to accommodate everyone who wanted to come. The fallout continued into the autumn as a ballot initiative filed shortly before the event threatened to cut off borough funding for the library. Voters outside city limits, though, defeated the measure in October by about 250 votes after an intense and sometimes bitter campaign. Voters also returned Ketchikan Gateway Borough Mayor Rodney Dial to office for a second three-year term, along with every other incumbent who ran for re-election. But that's not to say that local government stayed the same. Because of some elected officials' decisions not to seek new terms, there are quite a few new faces on Ketchikan City Council, Borough Assembly, and Board of Education. As the economy revved back to life, many Ketchikan residents were forced to reckon with a tight, expensive housing market. Businesses say it's impeding growth, and some residents have been forced to leave their longtime homes. There has been some progress in alleviating the crunch. A package of reforms aimed at making neighborhoods denser past the borough assembly, and a slate of new home sites from the Alaska Mental Health Trust in the Clover Pass area is expected to hit the market late next year. But it's clear the housing crisis is far from over. So here's to a new year and uh, maybe some new houses. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. This year continued the slow move to new phases of normalcy as the residents of Wrangell Island lived through the third year of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was a year of returning traditions like the community holiday potluck and the library magic show. It was also a year of many firsts. Wrangell's first recorded blood drive, the first flight of a new commuter air service to town. The high school cross-country team won Wrangell's first team state title since 1995. More than 2% of the island's population helped bring the first community musical in more than two decades to the Nolan Center stage. designed by Wrangell students to show their hometown pride won national acclaim and $15,000 for their art program after a public vote landed the shoes in the top five of a national contest. 
As the borough government moved to course-correct years of making do with Wrangell's infrastructure, residents saw rate hikes to every utility in town, from water and sewer to cemetery fees. Wrangell's interim borough manager was hired on for the long haul, and together with newly elected Mayor Patty Gilbert, oversaw investment strategy changes and increased communication about borough project progress. Seeking to bolster the island's economic development, the borough government purchased Wrangell's former mill site, one of the few remaining undeveloped deepwater ports in southeast Alaska. Community brainstorms for what to do with the site ranged from developing a regional recycling facility to expanding Wrangell's Marine Service Center and boatyard. A crew of researchers and artists set out from Wrangell this year to try and find one of the deadliest shipwrecks in Alaska history and think they found it. The new Wrangell Mariners Memorial received its first plaques after years in the making. The victims of the shipwreck, the Star of Bengal, are some of the many people remembered at the recently dedicated memorial. Another memorial, a scholarship in memory of two Wrangell siblings who died in a car accident a few years ago, awarded its first scholarships this year. As 2022 comes to a close, its highs and lows, openings and closings, endings and beginnings also set the groundwork for the coming year. On the packed table for Wrangell in 2023, there's anticipated and much-needed housing development, an expanded trail system, and even the potential arrival of the island's first electric school bus. Happy New Year, Wrangell. I'm Sage Smiley. In Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose with our Year in Review. It was a big year for Sitka. We saw record-breaking tourist numbers from Neo-Panamax ships, greenlit $8.2 million to construct a marine haulout with overwhelming support from voters, and a chum salmon fishery so hugely successful it garnered the nickname Chumageddon. But one thing we're hoping won't get too big? Rumblings underneath Kruzoff Island. Because Mount Edgecombe, after 4,500 years of dormancy, seems to be waking up. Cheryl Cameron is a geologist with the Alaska Volcano Observatory who grew up in Sitka. She recalls the moment her brother noticed a swarm of earthquakes beneath the volcano last spring. My brother sent me the earthquake location and he said, Cheryl, what's up with this? And I said, well, gosh, let me ask the seismologist. And I asked the seismologist, and the seismologist said, you know, there's a swarm. The AVO then used satellite radar data to determine that the flanks of Mount Edgecombe have inflated by about 11 inches and subsequently reclassified the volcano as historically active. Over the summer, Cameron and an AVO team installed monitors on the cone, and now it's wait and watch. 2022 was a big election year with lots of big races in the state and across the nation. But locally, it was the departure of Sitka's longtime representative, Jonathan Christ Tompkins, that made headlines. Christ Tompkins was just 23 when he was elected to the legislature, and he did not seek re-election this year. It's been a decade, and I've watched my 20s go by the wayside, and literally every adult life birthday I have had has been in the confines of the Alaska Capitol and um, sort of want to be sure before I get too long in tooth that have the opportunity to have time and space for other aspects of life. Christ Tompkins' seat will now go to former Sitka Assemblymember Rebecca Hemshoot, a political independent and a longtime school teacher. Sitka also saw its biggest cruise season ever, and while we didn't quite host the 425,000 cruise passengers originally predicted, 380,000 was still a very steep increase from previous years at the private cruise terminal out Halibut Point Road. 
And that meant the city had to respond by closing streets, rerouting traffic, and expanding city services to accommodate the guests. We even installed several big temporary bathroom trailers on Lincoln Street that could have slept a small family. Nevertheless, Sitka took it in stride, according to city planning director Amy Ainsley. We've got small streets, we have some difficult corners, and then we have people who are just completely unfamiliar and on vacation, fully on vacation, not always looking where they're going. And, you know, I know I know people are frustrated and, and rightfully so, um, but I also still see people being cautious. I see people looking out. You know, Sitkins have done a lot to accommodate these extra, you know, these these increased numbers and to, to do a lot to try and keep people safe. And the work to accommodate Sitka's cruise numbers continues as the city braces itself for an even bigger summer in 2023 with more than 500,000 visitors expected. I think we're going to need a bigger bathroom. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. For KFSK, I'm Jordan Lewis.